Hello, and welcome to today's Startup Equity Matters, uh, the podcast about how to create value from startup equity. Uh, It's for early stage founders and their teams. And remember, the enemy of Startup Equity Matters is the old school, complicated lawyers, meetings, paper, PDFs, big fees, all that stuff. Uh, You know, that's what we're here to to change. Um, One thing we are very passionate about is how innovation is changing the world. And so today's topic is using equity to change the world, net zero for everyone. So today we're going to meet and dig into the story of Kat Long, who is CEO and co-founder at Trace. Uh, Kat's had an amazing journey, uh, including capital raising for an impact startup, which I know many of you will be intrigued to learn more about. Um, You know, Kat's had an amazing career. And so look, very excited to have you on. Welcome, uh, Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. Excited about our discussion. Amazing. So, look, let's kick things off and find out a little bit how is life as CEO of Trace? (laughs) Um, How long have we got? I'm conscious your (laughs) listeners don't want this to be a full counselling session. So, um, (laughs) look, it's it's a journey. I'm in just over three years of... um, since we launched uh, Trace, and I've been the CEO the whole time. So I always say it's kind of comes in in three month cycles where you're just getting in your groove and things feel like they're going well. And then after three months, something changes and something goes wrong and you have to figure it out. So I'm right now in an excellent, stable spot. Um, absolutely loving my role. The team's going, firing on all cylinders. Um, so we're in a really good place. But, you know, in a month's time, I know things could change very quickly. Change is the only constant. It's never more true yep. than as leading the leader of a startup. Uh, but look, <laughs> excited for you that you're in a, a good patch. Um, you know, they're really enjoyable, aren't they? When things are really firing and and, and it's pumping along. Hundred percent. I think it comes down to having a bit of team stability, great talent working for you, and you know money in the bank. Frankly, so um, that certainly helps and will be relevant to this discussion. Absolutely. And what's the big focus for, for you, I guess, um, you know, currently and, and for, for the rest of the year at, um, at Trace? What are you guys working on? Yeah, well, we're, um, as I said, we're kind of three three years in. We've had about three million Aussie dollars in funding to date and, and we've got runway for at least another year. So we're kind of in that in that nice zone of you know not not panicking yet. You know, we've got money money in the bank. Um, but equally, the uh, I think the the, the barriers or the threshold for for fundraising have have raised you know the ceiling has gone up you need to prove better unit economics faster growth great team stability and obviously an amazing product so we've always been focused on that but i think the last few months has really um has really made us laser focused on how we can grow sustainably so we've now got a great team in place across both product customer success and sales um and i'm really just trying to get the team over the next 6 months making sure that we can grow consistently, not at all costs, and obviously retain customers at a, at least 90% plus. Just a few insignificant things all at the same time. Yes. It sounds a lot like uh, discussions at Cake, so that's great. Um, <laughs> cool. Let's go back. Uh, I always like to learn you know, a bit more about people's career and, and some of the cool things that they've done along the way and you know, chatting with you. Um, you know, you've got some awesome little, you know, adventures that we can dig into going way uh, yep. though you started off in psychology i think um maybe we could just touch on that and then how does this correlate with your oh. you know, getting into your know, passion for sustainability over time 
Yeah, I mean, great question. Gosh, I won't I won't declare how long ago that was, but um, <laughs> you can probably tell from my accent. I'm British, so grew up in, in the UK and studied at Oxford University. And, and I just wanted to study something I was interested in. You know, it was much more an academic um, pursuit rather than something that I thought I would continue with um, professionally. Maybe one day I would love to go into psychology and practice in some in some form. But as a 20 year old leaving university, I didn't think that was the right career path for me. So it's still something I hold on to and read a lot about. It's obviously very important. Psychology is huge from a um, a team management and leadership point of view. Mm. But it's also really important to climate action because ultimately you're trying to unlock the motivations of what makes people change their behaviors, you know, to be live a more sustainable life. So that's something I'm currently writing a blog on and really digging deep into um but no after after finishing my my bachelor's um, at oxford i decided to actually go actually into a tech company um and, and do marketing marketing there a lot of psychology and marketing as well i do really yes. like how in england people don't study a vocational thing at university necessarily i've got friends that have done um what's it called the study of rocks or whatever like maybe biology <laughs> or geology or yeah, like all exactly. these crazy things and um I, I love how you know they do that and then they go off and and you know look I guess work into their their real career and it adds another element to a person and and their ability and their awareness and their insights and so it's a real cool thing about the the british sort of university system eh? Oh, for sure. I mean, you've got a, probably a 50 year plus career to learn how to, you know, <laughs> learn about business or learn about Excel spreadsheets and data analytics. So why would you do it for three years at university? Yeah. I don't know. But it doesn't uh, feel like you that know, when you're young. It's like every year is so important. But I just love how you get to study something seemingly super random. But I suppose it's something you're really passionate about and that you've learned that you're really exactly. into during those late teen years. And then you get to really dig, dig deep into that. And then I suppose you can go get a real job in inverted commas. Yeah. I guess on. it teaches you the analytics, doesn't it? Like how to analyze a lot of data um, and turn that into succinct either essays or, um, you know, research papers. So it's good foundational skills, but just about a topic that you're interested in rather than feel you need to study for to, to secure your job out of university. Yeah, it's a good model. And then I think at one point you were in Bondi, which is one of my favorite places in the world. I like to visit there at least one weekend a year and just get amongst it. It's got a great vibe. Um, and you had and still have a pretty cool side hustle down around there. Yeah, um, it is very related to the place, actually. So my my now co-founder, Joanna, and I um, met within a few months of both moving to Sydney. You know, we moved here purely for a lifestyle change, never realizing it would become a permanent home. Uh, but, you know, here I still am. And we both lived in Bondi. We'd always talk with one another about how we'd love to have our own startup. But we just hadn't really nailed what that would be in or, or you know, what we felt compelled to quit our corporate jobs at the time to do. And one day we were walking through Bondi, Joanna was saying she just really needed a, a new handbag, but didn't have, you know, infinite money to go and buy a designer, but wanted something that was really practical, looked good, um, and could last her for life. And we just felt at the time, like there were no brands out there. Now, you know, dig a little bit deeper and there are plenty of brands out there. So I think we had a healthy amount of naivety <laughs> to think that we could go and conquer the the, the handbag market. Um, so, you know, I've be first to say that it, it wasn't a great success, but but the success of it was us absolutely loving working together, um, and that the kind of learnings of what we were good at and needed help with helped us shape up, you know, what we needed when we eventually came to launch Trace together. 
Yeah, having a co-founder that you can work well together that complement you know your skills is you know one of the most important things I think for for startup success. So that's a huge outcome from that. Even if um, you know you didn't go on and take over the whole the whole world of handbags. <laughs> Still got plenty of stock uh, that lives in my garage, but um, no, Trace yeah. takes up enough of my time What's now. Not to worry about that. Where, where can people get a handbag? <laughs> we decommissioned it. We decommissioned it. I'll have to do a special offer for you guys offline. Just let me know if you need one, and I'll connect you. Uh, cool and then uh you worked for you know really one of the big dogs uh certainly in australian uh banking and as you said i think you said not to steal one of your great lines but i think you said at one point or if not today macquarie was the largest renewable portfolio in the world so you know that must have been um i guess an interesting place to to spend some time yeah, certainly. I, I, I've spent um, five or so years in in management consulting at at banks in Europe um, across you know major um, investment banks and trading houses. And when I moved to Australia, I said, well, you know, I'd, maybe I don't really want to stay in finance. I'm not. I don't feel particularly passionate about it. But then I ended up speaking to the Macquarie team and realised that they're kind of more than just a bank. Um, you know, not everyone knows this, but they, of course they have a retail bank. But they also do a hell of a lot of um, investing into renewable energy and, you know, have been doing that for decades. Um, so I was lucky enough being in their strategy team to, to, to run some projects across their um, their investment teams and helping them think about how they integrate renewable energy portfolios into the bank's kind of management framework. And that just got me thinking, like, if this if this bank is is spending this much time and energy on this space, you know, as well as it being the right thing to do from climate, there's there's got to be an opportunity here. And it really got me kind of going deep into renewable energy and sustainability and what that could mean. No, it's amazing. And I think the timing was was excellent. I think we were talking, you know, the other day about the the rise of investing in in sustainability. Um, but it, this is the word sustainability, like it, it sort of doesn't feel right when you're talking about investing because they're mm. just you know, looking like great financial investments these days. You know, there's um, motivation from the consumer, you know, the end user, mm. SME, corporates, government. They're just, you know, over the last five years even, you know, since I've been working in startups, the, you know, to raise capital for impact startup then five years ago versus today just feels like a completely different situation yeah. because the financial reward and um, the customers are there, you know, they kind of make sense. The products are there. You know, so yeah. there's been this big shift. I just did a little bit of research prior on the Financial Times. You know, there's 20 renewable energy focused investment companies uh, on the London Stock Exchange now. Amazing. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, the increase, um, London Stock Exchange Group um, said that, you know, 84% of asset owners investing in sustainable investments in 2021, up from only 53% in 2018. So, you know, I think this is a couple of data points, but I think we're, you know, there's just such a, a big change in the last five or 10 years towards, um, you know, sustainability as a very viable investment strategy. So, yeah, excited to see Yeah, that. I mean, I think that, that data you've looked at shows people actually investing in the real assets that will help us drive towards, you know, a net zero future. But alongside all of those real assets, you need tools to help people upskill and understand how to manage their businesses or their life in a sustainable world. And that's kind of the the role that Trace plays. So we're not directly investing in, you know, the 
the wind farms or um, the electric vehicles, but we're creating the technology and the platform to help companies on that journey. Um, so the business model for an impact when it's a, is ultimately the same as a software as a service company, right? It just happens to be enabling the transition to net zero. Yeah, we dug into Trace last time we spoke and I found it super interesting. Uh, I think people would be aware of, you know, carbon offsetting and, and you know, like when you go and you buy your flight and you click the button and you do the yeah. carbon offset. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we're all familiar with that now, you know, I guess in, in I guess, the modern world or whatever we want to call it. Most of the people listening are going to be aware of that. But, you know, Trace really does take this one step further. I'd love for you to share I guess, you know, the details of what Trace is doing, how it's different and really how you're looking to solve that problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I guess you could kind of call it like a, a carbon management platform. Um, it's not the sexiest kind of description of Trace, but we're operating now in a world where, you know, all the biggest corporates are starting to look at what their carbon emissions are. And there are actually, you know, there are regulations coming in that mean they have to disclose their carbon emissions on a on an annual basis. And what that means is that their supply chain, which is also driving um, carbon emissions, are going to be required to report on this as well. The reason for this is to ultimately track our progress towards net zero, which you know means a drastic reduction in carbon um, emissions globally and at the government level, the personal level, and the corporate level. So trace. What we're trying to do is help the smaller businesses, the, the non-listed or they might be listed, but the kind of mid mid to small cap companies that don't have a team internally that can manage sustainability. They can't really justify hiring somebody with a sustainability master's to come in just to manage carbon. So, But they know they ought to be doing something. It's a great way to attract, as you said, customers, employees, and you know to win big tenders with corporates or, or governments. So they kind of know there's a problem. They know they need to be doing something, but they don't have the in-house skill set to do that. Trace is basically giving SMEs the tools to be able to measure and manage their carbon emissions internally without that additional um, headcount. The ultimate goal is for us to help them achieve net zero. So measure their carbon emissions today and drive that down on an annual basis to eventually reach net zero or you know around a 90% reduction with the rest uh, mitigated through removals. Amazing. No, I haven't heard of that before. So it's great to, one of the reasons why I love this podcast, I just get to meet great people and learn, you know, about the innovations uh, that are occurring. So yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for, for sharing. Um, so cool. it's targeted towards sort of medium sized businesses, would you say? That's sort of the, the sweet spot. Yeah. I'd say uh, we, our customers range from probably 10 staff to maybe 500 a couple of larger ones but um yep. the kind of typical uh criteria would be that they might have one person dedicated to sustainability but normally it's somebody wearing that as a, an additional hat they might be the ops manager the strategy person finance and they've been given this task of also owning esg or sustainability so it doesn't really matter how big they are um the 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 role we're playing is to empower and enable that person internally to be the sustainability specialist. Um, and we can really help companies of all different industries as well. Amazing. And um, I guess like moving along a little bit, because it's an equity related podcast, I'd love to learn <laughs> yeah. more, but let's 
let's help people understand, I guess, your capital raising journey. Uh, capital raising is hard at the best of times, but, um, you know, funding for women-led startups, I'm just going to be you know, open about it. It's more challenging and funding for impact yep. startups is is seen to be more challenging as well. So, mm. you know, congratulations, first of all. And uh, I'd really love to learn more and, and help people understand, you know, a bit about how the process went and hopefully help them yeah. on their journey as well. Sure. No, it's a it's a good question. Um, well, I think I was very aware of my gap that my gaps in knowledge around around you know venture capital and fundraising because this is apart from that little side hustle, this is the first um, kind of startup and tech company that I have I have launched. So my co-founder Joanna and I decided that we needed that kind of early support to get Trace off the ground. So we actually joined kind of a a, a day zero investment program. Um, run by Antler, which is a venture, global venture capital program that that really help companies go right. from sort of idea to establishment. Great and that was critical. Antler, shout yeah. out to Antler, great partners of ours. Yeah, we work with them in, uh, in Australia and now actually up in Colorado in the US as well. Yeah, really oh, wow. awesome organization. Yeah. Yeah. And look, it was it was just like kind of a boot camp for us. Right. You know, we, ha- we had an idea. We knew kind of what we wanted to work on. But by going through that program, it not only gave us access to mentors and sort of experts that could help us really kick the tires on the idea, but it was ultimately a route to funding as well. So it was a, a pretty small amount of, um, you know, pre-seed or very early capital that we received from them. Um, but it just got it was enough to mean that we could um, quit our jobs and give ourselves a very small salary. So enough to kind of spend a year really going, is this something that we can dedicate all our time to? Um, we then did a small friends and family round about eight months or so after the the initial funding from Antler. So by that point, we had about, I think, 400 grand or so in the bank that we could use to hire a very small skeleton team. Um, but it wasn't for another year and a half that we actually thought, right, we've really proven this MVP we've got uh, we've got so far with a small team but we now want to to scale the team build out our tech um our tech capabilities and obviously hire marketing and sales so it's since then we've raised another um two rounds as well from venture and family offices well, congratulations um love hearing those those early stories um and particularly you know they've got somewhat of a unique program I think they invest at the end, don't they? So I think a lot of accelerators yep. will take you through and you're kind of relying on the market to invest. Um, yep. Some accelerators will invest a little bit at the start and then a bit more at the end. I think the way Andlers works is, do they invest a bit at the start and then again at the end? Or how did that work when you were there? Uh, it, I think it remains just at the end. So you'll sort of yeah. you go through the program preparing for your presentation to the investment committee in order to secure that funding. And it's the same amount of funding for all the successful startups. That's right. But the clever model um, from their perspective anyway, is that they sort of they pay for their program through a service fee that you pay as part if you get funded. So only the successful companies then have to pay sort of a, a program fee, which covers the cost um, of them running that program. Yeah, it makes sense. I've heard, you know, running accelerators is an expensive business and it's a challenging business model. So I, I understand that they they do need some funding to have great people and resources around, you know, to help you through yeah. this, this early phase. And I think for very early stage founders, first time founders, you know, day one founders, there's a huge amount of value creation uh, in a program like Antler. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not only just the knowledge that you gain from the program, but the accountability. You know, I think 
when you're just about to launch a business and you just kind of sit down at your laptop in the morning, where do you start? You know, who's holding you accountable? What are your goals? Whereas being in that program meant that you had, um, you know, sprints every day and you had to do presentations back to the cohort every week. So it really keeps things moving fast. And I think those create good disciplines for being founder in the future. Mm. Amazing. And then more recently, you've raised, was it about a million and a half? Are we sharing? Um, we did, uh, yeah, we've actually done two, two kind of more substantial rounds, um, since, since Antler and, and the, uh, friends and family round. So, uh, a kind of pre-seed of a million and a half, as you said. And then actually a sort of unplanned round at the end of 2022, which I'm very glad that we did. Um, and that was really off the back of the changing landscape and us thinking, you know, we want to have, we don't want to be caught up needing to raise in a market that looks like it's, you know, in a downturn. Um, so we've raised two and a half million since then. Awesome. So let's shout out a few of the great investors that have joined your cap table that people could get in contact with. Who who would you like to recommend? Oh gosh, I'm sorry if I miss anyone. Um, <laughs> I won't. I won't name the angels and syndicates, but I will say that they have been instrumental, um, particularly syndicates. I found that if you find somebody that sort of runs a syndicate and has good relationships with other potential investors, it's such an efficient way to get angel capital without having to go and pitch for, you know, 20 grand at a time, which is yeah. just not practical. Shout out so to some some great really... syndicates. I'll shout out to some great syndicates. I know I'll probably forget people, but we've got Aussie Angels, we've got 1013, yeah. you've got, mm-hmm. you know, angel groups like maybe Brisbane Angels, Sydney Angels, they can run syndicates. I think 1013 yep. even now has additional syndicates running alongside it as well. So, you know, there's definitely more. We actually have a great big syndicate on our cap table at Cake called The Syndicate, which is run by oh, really? Jason Calacanis. So, um, yeah, look, I think, again, I'll, I'll echo that. It's a wonderful way, um, you know, to run those angel rounds. So I'm glad you had a, a yeah. Great- them as well great experience with them um and then on the on the fun side um we have giant leap and uh, dragonfly enviro capital we're in our latest round um both impact investors or sort of in the renewables and impact space and have been fantastic mentors as well as um you know capital providers um euphemia which is launched by dom pym the founder of upbank has been fantastic and his partner judy as well was actually the one to suggest that we did this additional round um and i'm so glad she did because it's put us in the position we are today i think that's a great insight i've had that insight several times from my our investors at cake is like hey guys such and such is happening in the market you know we recommend you go out and and you know take this this you know round on now i think that is a wonderful piece of support that investors provide that is is quite often underappreciated so Great to hear that. Absolutely. And it's, you've got, you know, it's got to be right for you and you shouldn't just take every piece of advice, um, you know, for uh, as gospel, but it just, the timing essentially meant that we just closed a previous round. Judy said, Hey, we've just missed out. Is there any way that we can get back in? And we said, no, look, that was, that was a few months ago. We're not planning to raise for another year, but I was pregnant at the time, which, you know, I hadn't really anticipated (laughs) in the previous round. Um, and we were starting to get here murmurings that, you know, that, capital was not going to be as available or it's going to be more expensive and that you know you should really preserve runway for 24 months and we thought wow i don't i don't want to be stuck in this in this world but we're in a good growth phase we've got a strong investment um story here why don't we go and just do a sort of top up as we called it and um that's the one that we closed at the end of last year love it love it and i guess with you know raising 
Um, growth is obviously a major factor in any capital raise. Great growth quite often means investment, <laughs> but there's normally some some other big hooks that you're really working towards. If there is any advice or insight from your experience around, you know, raising for impact that you think helped got your raises over the line, I guess it would be great to dig into that. It could be as simple as, hey, I had a great business and we we're growing gangbusters and so we got capital. And if that's the case, then that's yeah. fine. But um, <laughs> anything to add? Oh, gosh, I, I, it probably is more the latter. Um, <laughs> I think we've, the, our early rounds, we've really had to sort of convince people why we weren't just impact. You know, this was, this was a for-profit business that had the potential to deliver venture returns. So there was a lot of education required. I think fast forward two years, that really has changed. And, you know, we have a SaaS business model. So fundamentally, people understand what SaaS economics look like. And if you can show that, you know, you're you're improving those over time, um, the impact is just sort of a, an additional benefit to that. Um, it does mean that I think there's a if you are an impact business, and you're going to impact investment um, firms, they just do, you know, they have better insight and knowledge of the market. So you just don't need to be educate, educating them about your space quite as much, um, which can be good and bad because on the one hand, it means they know every single one of your competitors. They've probably seen a hundred pitch decks that look the same. <laughs> You're pitching them um, and they're thinking, I know your business better than you do. <laughs> it's always the fear, isn't it? Um, but at the same time, they know it deeply enough that, you know, you can, if you've got the conviction why your business is better than, than your competitors, then, you know, you're going to get, you're going to win the funding. If they know the space and you can show like a really unique insight and a lot of passion and persever perseverance and capability, then, you know, that puts you in the right, the right frame of mind. Um, exactly. Let's move on, I guess, to employee equity. One thing we're very passionate about, okay, because, mm. you know, getting teams involved in in the success of their startups, they're instrumental in, yep. you know, creating the value and building the company. And, you know, we obviously believe they should have a piece of the cake. And, you know, when when we all have a big win, then, then everybody's successful. How have you sort of tackled, um, you know, employee equity or ESOP uh, at Trace? Yeah, I mean, one of the good things, uh, outcomes of going through the antler program is they they really do set you up kind of for success from the start so they enforce you to have a an esop pool of i think 12 and a half percent for when you first do your initial raise um and they give you the tools to manage your cap table didn't i didn't sign up to cake until about an, a year later and thank god i did because that spreadsheet was becoming horrendously unruly um so we always always had that pool and we therefore knew we could use that to to hire our initial staff um and we also had good legal documents in place so we had a, a stock option plan rules written up we had the offer letter written up so you know it felt like we weren't starting from scratch which was fantastic but we have you know maybe made a few mistakes along the way and either overpromised or underpromised certain employees and learned that lesson sometimes the hard way so now that we've had that experience, we have made a few changes to the rules, um, you know, just to to make sure that we're being fair to employees, but also um, not giving away too much capital too early. Yeah, I often talk to, and you know, the way we've designed the plan rules at Cake uh, is that they should be protect the company, but be employee friendly. So there's important things yeah. on the company side, like what happens when people leave or what happens if we have an exit. The company needs mm -hmm. enough control to make sure that, you know, the overall structure of the cap table is solid uh, but at the same yep. time employees need to know that they're going to be well looked after and you know there isn't a big disconnect between the rights of the founders and the investors and the employees so mm. i think 
you know, navigating that company protection and employee friendliness is, is a key element of, of those plan rules, yeah. Yeah, and one thing we learn, and I think it, it, there's very differing philosophies on this from founders, I always err on the side of, of that generosity because they're ultimately taking a punt on you as a business as well, particularly in the early days where you might not be able to offer competitive market salaries. Yeah. Um, but we have we also did find that, in, particularly in the first couple of years, the people that you hire initially you might outgrow them within a year. Likewise, they might outgrow you. You know, you need someone very specific for a year, but then the business evolves, you might pivot. And you realize that early person that you brought on to do, I don't know, B2C marketing, like that's an example of someone we hired. She was fantastic at the time. But then as we started shifting more towards B2B, we sort of, you know, it felt like where there wasn't such great alignment. So what we've recently done is actually change our vesting schedule so that it it is more sort of back uh, weighted towards the back end of the vesting schedule because we felt like the value a comp- uh, a, an employee delivers to the business only increases over time. So they should actually unlock more of that um, vested equity the longer they stay with with the company. Love that. Very thoughtful. And isn't it awesome that you can have a, like a legal program like that, that you can, that is so flexible, that can help you yeah. sort of deliver on the strategy in the way that you think is the most effective um and then you've got like a really cool tool to sort of help you implement that awesome exactly yes awesome um and so you know looking forward then we've talked a little bit about what you're doing now you know let's look forward 2024 2025 like what's going on how how is the world gonna gonna change oh gosh i mean i the best analogy and the my vision is that Trace becomes sort of as commonplace for a, for a company as as zero is for their financial reporting, right? I I truly believe that non financial reporting and and knowing and understand your carbon emissions is going to be as important as you know understanding your profit and loss. Um, and if we can be in that world, then we've got a really good chance of reaching net zero by you know twenty fifty at the latest. So I think every company needs a tool to be able to do that you know god forbid everyone's trying to do it in spreadsheets um and sort of self-assess because you just never get the sort of accuracy um that you would with a with a tool so yeah i think for me my vision is to to really help trace become that well-adopted tool that helps every company reach net zero equally be the community and the brand that that, that companies are proud to be a part of um and the best analogy for me there is is B Corp, you know, every they've been going for decades now, but companies wear that badge with pride as they should, because they've gone through a hell of a lot of work to, to achieve that certification. And the people and companies that are part of B Corps are really proud of that. And they they attend events and they help other B Corps. And there's a lot of collaboration in that community. And I'd love to, for Trace to be sort of that community for, for climate action within a business as well. Amazing. Oh, that's a huge, huge vision. There's multiple very important problems being solved there. I think from my perspective, and, you know, obviously I can't, yes. I can't understand everything, but, you know, for me, I think if you're trying to solve a problem and you have no clarity, like you can't really see it, it's, you know, the answers aren't somewhat obvious and the courses of action aren't obvious, uh, then it just you just feel totally helpless. And I feel like, you know, yeah. Trace is a, a wonderful platform for helping people with clarity on where they currently are and how they can, you know, take those very important steps forward. So good stuff. Yes, great. Love it. Great. Thanks. So great that you're tackling this this challenge, Kat, and, and your amazing team and your investors and everybody involved. So mm-hmm. great job, everyone. Um, lots of support <laughs> from me. Thanks a lot. Um, so, <laughs> um, look, I guess just to finish off, we normally talk about 
creative, healthy lifestyle um, and how, you know, health, our health, it's so, so important um, and what what role it plays in, in your success or Trace's success. Um, how, yeah. What would you like to, to share on that one? Oh, it's something I couldn't agree more with. Um, I mean, the thing I always say is I think the biggest threat to the business is is running out of emotional runway, not running out of financial runway, right? There's always, you can always find money if you really have to or cut expenses, but you can't get out of a, you know, deep hole of, of exhaustion. So um, Joe and I really try and build a culture that is high performing. Everyone works hard and we give them tough goals, but there's absolutely no FaceTime. We really try and live by example of not being online at every hour of the day, you know, going and taking time outside, going to the gym. I mean, we don't have, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm particularly disciplined at running, you know, a daily routine that works all the time, but I definitely make sure Trace works for me, not the other way around. Um, and uh, we really believe in that as a, as a practice. It's worked for us both as female founders, you know, having taken time off with my first child um, last year and Joanna had to really step up to to help me do that and and she's expecting in um in november so i'm excited to be able to repay the favor but i think that's a that's an important um lead by example right for our team that it's like we can we will let trade we will give ourselves the time off because family ultimately is is the family and health are the most important things in life love that got your priorities straight then you can have you know all that power and energy for for decades to come so exactly it's a marathon yeah don't want to peak early in startups that's for sure so yeah <laughs> very good look um look i'm very grateful for your time thanks for sharing uh, i'm sure everyone enjoyed that we touched on some super important um you know topics i think the overarching topic of using equity to create real value well you know there's no more real value than helping solve you know, some of the world's biggest problems. And I just absolutely love to see capital being allocated into helping, you know, great young businesses grow and, you know, be part of the solution. So um, that's it for today's episode, everyone. Um, I'm sure you loved it. Thank you, Kat. Uh, really appreciate your time. Amazing. Thanks for having me, Jason. Thanks for listening.